0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Deep End Conversations in the Global Talent Pool. I'm Jeff Dubisky, Workforce Logic's Chief Solutions Officer. And today with me is Christopher Dwyer, SVP of Research and uh, Future of Work uh, collaborator with us uh, from Ardent Partners. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Very, very glad to be here, Jeff. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Well, we have, uh, uh, I think, a great program in store. And I'm very excited to talk about the recent report that you've issued mm-hmm. around the state of contingent workforce management 2021 and the future of work around the future work exchange. Uh, it's a great read for the audience. I encourage you 100% make sure you this is a page turner for sure. Uh, Chris, let's get the, the stuff that seems to be always in the headlines out of the way first.
1: Mm-hmm. Of course.
0: Remote work and sort of this swinging pendulum that we have wildly in the past year or so, um, complete offsite, return to work, hybrid schedules, and and so much influences this, right? If I think about the knobs and switches that we have around Mm -hmm. culture, technology, a trust factor, um, and even health around masks, vaccinations, our personal preferences and objectives, so. How do how do organizations get their arms around this to kind of understand the right mix both today and in the future? Well, Jeff, this is an
1: interesting question to start with. And I know you and I have talked about this pretty much nonstop since you and I met, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, I think what's really interesting about the remote work question is that we are in a very different place today than we were a year and a half ago, right? And I always tell the story of the first or so week of March, I was at um my uh, my daughter and my son's swim class they had it every week every Wednesday night, and um, I was there with another parent uh, another dad and um we got to talking and he said well he ran IT for all of a large financial services company here in Boston and uh and he said hey you know in two days from now this Friday we are literally flipping a switch and moving everyone to remote just to see how it would work right. And so a lot of organizations, I feel at the beginning, you know, March, April, May, June of 2020, were very similar instances where they're like, what do we do? How do we deal with this? This fact that all of a sudden now 90%, 95% of our workers are at home. How do we deal with the trust issues? How do we deal with productivity, connectivity uh, and empathy, which I know is something we'll get to a little bit later. Um, and we're at a very different place now, and I think that the, 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 the biggest difference is that the businesses that have really realized just how productive we can be, just how smooth it can be, and just how happy their workforce is, uh, that's really where the foundational root of all of this is. The fact that businesses today, they can, they can look back the past year and a half, which, uh, Jeff, I'm sure you'd agree with me, that went by like that, right? Like, <laughs> so fast. Um, they could really sit back down and say, okay, well, I know what works and I know what doesn't work. I know which parts of my team can work remotely, can work in a hybrid work uh, environment, and I know which ones can't. I know what types of work can be done in, you know, across the world remotely, and I know what needs to be done in my backyard. And so I think that, um, and honestly, my attitude a couple months ago was a little bit different because I was advocating for uh you know using the summer as an experimental time right bring back some of the workforce push out some of you know the rest of the workforce bring people in two days a week bring people in three days a week try full you know full weeks of remote and see what works now we're dealing with a delta variant of course and so a lot of those those plans are a little bit on hold but um i still do encourage a lot of business leaders to to look at the next four to six months and and definitely use it as a time to really understand what works? What doesn't work? I mean, I know it seems like a very simple answer, but um, this is not something that we're going to change the second that, you know, we reach a level where, you know, the coronavirus is endemic in the United States or across the world, right? This is an aspect of work. It's a facet of the future of work, like I always say, that is forever going to be a big piece of how we get work done. And I can't get away from that answer. I mean, a lot of folks Uh, On the HR side, I have a lot of procurement, finance, IT folks always asking me, Chris, when do we get back to having people in the office? And my answer is never. We're never going to hit that again. And I know my friends in corporate real estate don't want to hear that. But uh, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, companies have realized the benefits, companies have realized what works and doesn't work, and they're going to use those tools and, and those learnings as sort of a way to pave the future.
0: Uh, And, and, you know, I I appreciate that. And I think it's spot on that sometimes we try to over-engineer a strategy. Mm -hmm. You know, what are we going to strategically do to do this? And the environment, you're right. I I think that March, April, May of last year uh, was a bit quiet. You know, everyone, the the earth seemed to be a little quiet trying to understand what was happening. Uh, And then all of a sudden things kicked in and you're right, the past 12 months or so seem to have gone by quickly. And that I had a client that used to talk about, do, learn, adjust, do it a bit, learn from it, and then adjust. And I mm-hmm. think we're going to be in that fluidity, which yeah, I would agree. really kind of brings us, I guess, maybe to the next piece, which is that that's, that's agile, right? We've talked about agile software development. We've yep. talked about agile, this now we're into agile workforce, mm-hmm. and thinking about how do we pull on those critical levers of remote flex work arrangements, direct or indirect contingent labor and the gig economy. But we talked about trust briefly, we mentioned it, but we didn't talk too, too much about it. So what are some of the key attributes or, or even KPIs that, that we wanna kind of monitor? Because one size doesn't fit all right. and, and, and agility doesn't mean the same thing. So how do we dial some of those things in to get a comfort level with our people leaders?
1: Yep, great question, Jeff. Um, and I think for starters, let's let's define the agile workforce, right? Because I think we're we're gonna throw that around a lot and it's good to define it. And I'll, do, I'll literally do it in 10 seconds. The agile workforce is the natural evolution of the contingent workforce, given the changes in how we're getting work done. I mean, that's pretty much it, right? You know, how do you take your contingent workforce, uh, you know, sort of push the envelope a little bit, you know, add in the elements of the future of work movement, which include, you know, technology, diversity, inclusion, uh, remote work, of course, uh, all all of the wonderful things we're talking about now, slam those together with the idea that, Um, our, our non-employee or extended talent, they're, they're critical to how we get work done. Um, but you know, essentially back back to your question, right? I mean, I, I do think that more and more businesses, uh, have realized over the past 18 months or so that there's an inherent level of talent in their, in their extended or agile workforce that they can tap into. And you, you mentioned the word trust, Right. Well, when workforces were, I mean, when, when businesses were looking at their workforce and saying, okay, I just had a, you know, layoff, furlough, 60%. Um, When I get to a point when I can bring some of those workers back, do I really want to be doing that in a full-time or an FTE capacity? But there's also a trust factor, right? And so I think that that's where you, you saw this, this bigger leap in the utilization of contingent labor again, right? I remember Um, and I'm definitely dating myself here, but uh, the Great Recession of 08, 09 um, was the biggest spike in utilization of contingent labor in business history. And the big reason why was that it worked well for both sides and it worked well for for during that period of time. Businesses couldn't hire back everyone they wanted to and the workers themselves didn't want to go back to that environment. And it's almost like you're seeing that, it's like cyclical, right? You're seeing that happen again. And the trust factor is, is a big aspect. But the thing is, we're not dealing with workers that are, um, you know, that they they don't have top skills. Their skill sets aren't in demand. Uh, you can get the highest level of work done from someone that lives, you know, four thousand miles away from you, the yeah. same way you could if they were literally sitting twenty-five feet away from you. And so the fact that you know we went from forty-three and a half percent of the total workforce being considered non-employee pre-pandemic to nearly forty-seven percent now. I think speaks to that level that okay businesses are starting to understand or they have understand using your what you just said right sort of, you know, um, you know, learn and adjust. You know, maybe it's another awakening right where businesses really understand hey, we're not talking about workers that are just going to, you know, plug gaps here and there. they are workers that are going to help us with mission critical goals and objectives, they're going to help us get work done. and you know what if there is that level of trust that we have longer term it's going to help with redeploying them or reengage them reengaging them when we need to so uh, a lot of things happening with the world of the agile workforce that you know are you know we're going to i feel like they were going to happen anyway but definitely pandemic was an accelerator
0: absolutely not that i would ever wish a pandemic to be a change catalyst but you're right, right. there are so <laughs> many things that we've been talking about for 20 years, and I'll date myself even almost 30 years now, about now have been tried and tested and true in this overall environment, but again, not a one size fits all. And, um, you know, when I think about going back to sort of the people leaders that we have and that trust factor, um, you know, some people aren't aren't equipped to work from home, to be siloed and walled off and collaboration can be tough, no matter what the technology is. And some companies are very, very worried, of course, about their culture being impacted, Mm -hmm. but- you had this great section, and I love this one in the in the uh, article in the uh, paper about empathy and being an empathetic leader. Can yep. you tell us a little bit more about what that is and 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 how it sort of looks or feels when you're in the right environment?
1: Yeah, so it's 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 funny. So we, I I just wrote an article for the Future of Work Exchange, um, and I called it "Empathy is the only way forward." Right, and you have to think about it in this way. Right, we have all gone through a collective experience of a year and a half that transcends our personal lives and it transcends our business lives as well. It is, I mean, I really can't think of anything else. I mean, you think of uh, really big happenings, big tragedies in, in, in our lifetime, like September 11th. Think think about the events like that, right? Those, those hurt us, harmed us, and, and left an indelible mark on all of us. But there was a sense where, you know, if you didn't live in New York City, you weren't impacted financially, you weren't directly affected by a tragedy like that. Um, you know, you, you moved on at some point, right? And yeah, obviously, you look back and think, well, there was a tragedy that should have never have happened. The pandemic is a tragedy that literally affected the entire world. And you look at where we are today. And it doesn't matter if, uh, if Jeff, if someone like you or someone like I that are you know, you're on the tech side, I'm on the analyst side, we're used to working from home, we're used to collaborating virtually, right? Uh, This is old hat for us, but for a lot of people, it wasn't, right? So imagine doing this right now and, you know, having my five-year-old walk into the room and telling me that, you know, he needs help with his iPad or he dropped, you know, he dropped his juice on the floor, right? Those things are happening to people. And, and it goes beyond that too. There's a level of anxiety. There's still a level of fear, right. With people that it's, it's really affecting their mindset. And you've got things like worker burnout, you know, things, uh, worker anxiety, you know, um, you know, I live uh, I'm very lucky to be blessed with the fact that I live with my in-laws and they help with daycare and all of that. But my, my father-in-law is battling, Um, you know, luckily, uh, a very treatable form of cancer, but I worry, what if he catches the Delta variant, right? And so I try to, you know, think about that. There in the people are very worried. And you have this, this sense of they're trying to do their work from home, while also contending with the, the, uh, whether it's tragedy, whether it's anxiety, whether it's fear, all in their personal lives. And so this is where empathy comes in and empathy plays a gigantic role empathy led leadership is literally the only way forward for us because we need leaders that are flexible that they're open to communication that they understand where their workers are coming from and the thing i think about as well um i mean i could talk about this topic for hours as you probably <laughs> can tell um but one of the things i wrote in my article was that you know we're so worried about and it's funny too right you know think a year ago would we have thought a year ago that we would experience a month on record where we experienced the most resignations in business history? No. Right. But that's the world we're living in. You have the great resignation. Jeff, I think there's another, another term uh, you used as well to, to describe that. But if I'm a business leader, I want an inclusive empathetic led workplace where my workers feel like they can come to me. They can let me know, are they feeling burnt out? Do they need help? Do they need help with something? Is there something going on in their personal lives? Can I put myself in their shoes and understand, well, they've got a newborn at home. They've got a four-year-old at home. They're trying to do remote learning throughout their day. Their spouse could be a frontline worker, right? All these different things happening in the personal world that are colliding with their business and professional selves. And empathy really is the only way that you're, you're going to have a workforce that trust you we talk so much about us trusting the workforce it works both ways we need our workforce to trust us to to, to feel comfortable with us feel like they're in an inclusive workplace environment that's founded on empathy and flexibility And, and the one other thing i'd add here is that when i look at where businesses are going to be six months a year from now talent retention is going to be huge we want our top skill sets to be here and you know what if, if I'm a, a non-empathetic leader and I gave that worker a hard time about taking an hour off in the afternoon to shuttle their kids off somewhere, or maybe they're signing on at 11 a.m. instead of 9 a.m. because you know they have stuff to do with their kids, when, when the economy is, is, is way back to where it should be and the labor market is way back to where it should be, and that person has the opportunity to move on. Yeah, compensation is going to be huge, but they're also going to think, wow, I, I, I didn't feel like I was part of an inclusive culture that really was focused on my feelings as a human. And I think that's something really, really critical. And, and, it's, and, it's, and I, I do laugh at myself sometimes. Uh, one member of my team saw a draft of my article and said, Chris, Five years ago, you were writing about AI and blockchain and and the evolution of contingent labor. Who would have thought that five years from now uh, we'd be writing about empathy, right? Yeah. But that's where we are. And honestly, like I said in my article on the future of work exchange, it's the only way we move forward.
0: I, I love that section. I really do. It, it brings to home the thought that we hear, you know, organizations don't lose people, managers do, and and and, yep. and I think that that's. It cuts both ways, though. You have to have, as I think you just mentioned, that empathy brings forward a number of things. Uh, Do I know what that person's going through? Um, Can I give offer people the opportunity to have a safe space to ask permission Mm -hmm. to just take some time and know that it's available? Uh, and, and dealing with things in a very different way. You're right, we're all in very different spaces. I've I've come to know a lot of people more personally uh, through Zoom where you mentioned kids have walked in and they're just <laughs> part of the meeting at the time. Yep. Uh, and, and I know that some, some organizations uh, don't want that and have been very specific about how and what they do in the remote place of work, um, which I think unfortunately then puts a lot of people on the other side of the screen mm-hmm. at, a, at a very sort of disadvantage as well. Yep. So I'm glad you brought that up. Up. And so, when I think about that, um, you know, there's a concept of, of human at the center, right? We are human at the center, regardless of our technology, regardless of AI, regardless of how we're interacting, we are human at the center. Um, so, when we think about mapping out a strategy and to implement basically in these gaps, right? The pace of change that we're in the middle of, the, the enormous gap in talent today, right? Different types of shortages. Um, how do we, how do we begin to map some of this into that ecosystem and respond to those issues? Again, whether it's the agile workforce, uh, a different hybrid vehicle. What are some of the things that you think of there? This
1: is a good question, Jeff. Um, I mean, I I I do feel that again, you know, human, we, we, the, the human element sits in the center, right? I mean. As as wonderful as AI has come, as progressive as technology has come, especially in our world, the enterprise software world, uh, it, not 100 of it is isn't autonomous. Right, we do need to set things up in a way that benefits, you know, the human side of things. So, um, I think it's really critical for businesses to understand that you know the human element sits in the center. But the technology has to be a big piece of the ecosystem around that. And one of the biggest things that I think about is, you know, obviously, as human leaders, we know what skill sets we need. We need to feed those into a system that has the ability to very quickly scan the job market, that can understand, okay, what gaps do I have uh, from a skill set or expertise perspective in my organization? Um, where can we find those skill sets? Are there passive candidates out there that maybe we should be tar- targeting? Where are the active candidates? Um, can I build scenarios that help me understand? Okay, we're hopefully on the back end of a pandemic. The labor market is improving at a at whatever rate it is. What is my business going to look like in a year? Right. Um, and then there's also the 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 aspect of unconscious bias. I mean, that's something that is missed a lot in the conversation about AI, right? Yeah. Um, we need as humans to be able to structure our systems in a way where uh, diversity and inclusion is still a big piece of all of that. But, um, and I guess I know I'm getting a little off topic, but um, I mean, that, that's really where the, the future of talent acquisition, the future of contingent workforce management really, really lies is the fact that if we can harness what we're doing as humans and what we want as humans, and using AI and other progressive systems to help us comb, you know, talent clouds, talent communities and available talent around. It builds the best possible scenario for us. Well, if I can literally go to bed at night and have a bot, you know, have something ready for me in the morning that says, hey, we just identified 450 candidates for the 12 roles that you're going to need within the next two months, that's incredible. But that isn't possible unless we're leading with the human side and we're plugging in the things that we really want as as true human business leaders. I mean, um, I'm you know a big fan of the Terminator movies, and so <laughs> I always think you know Skynet taking over. Um, and I do joke about that a lot, but I think the businesses that are a little bit adverse to AI you just have to understand that it's it's augmentative, and it's and it's a wonderful way for businesses to really execute some of those talent talent acquisition, talent engagement processes that we just don't have the manpower to do ourselves. I mean, we have to go to bed at night. We have to work on projects, right? Uh, why not blend that human digital way of, of trying to find talent?
0: No, I appreciate that. I think that you know a lot of times we, we do overemphasize where AI is or what it can do. Um, and at the end of the day, we know that LinkedIn profiles, social profiles, uh, resumes are probably some of the worst depictions right. <laughs> of what our future abilities and yeah. desires are. Uh, and yet we still use that as the antiquated vehicle to discuss whether or not you're a fit for a role. And I think that's where the true value of the recruiter comes in, that, that story underneath mm-hmm. the, the resume. I, I often refer to it as almost having, you know, layers. And as you ask a question, you almost pull off parts of the resume, you know, right. until you get to yeah. the, the story. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, the great resignation yes. uh, and look at, we've been through this a lot. I mean, I, I personally, I remember uh, the crushing blow that hit in the eighties. Uh, I was in high school at the time, but I remember the crushing blow in the eighties. I, I came out in the early nineties, uh, mid nineties, when it was a very, very terrible job market. We went through that, the, the dot com bust in that 2001, the one you mentioned 2007, 2009. Um, so, here we are, the Great Recession. We've also heard turnover, tsunami, uh, the big quit. There's- Yeah, end- the big quit. That headlines. was
1: the one I was thinking
0: of. Yeah, yeah <laughs> there's endless headlines. But you know what's interesting? If I go back all the way to the 80s and I think about everything along the way, there's always that somewhere between 45 and 65% of people, regardless of the time frame, regardless of the recession, pandemic, mm-hmm. great times, bad times, will take a call from a recruiter. Yep. Um, so it just really never changes. But I think what you were keying in on was- that um have we exacerbated work-life balance are we we were in the us at least we wear like a badge of honor that work endless hours and we're crushed and yet then we complain that we're burnt out Mm -hmm. um and and, and we're one of the few areas in the world that does it that way so to speak Mm -hmm. you also have an area that talks about the importance of of wellness, of of, of our mental wellness, our physical wellness. And and I think early in the pandemic, we saw a lot of people migrate into yoga and meditation and workout routines. And it seems like here we are a little over a year later and we're back to the same old, same old. What are some of the areas in there that we should really think about ensuring that people are tending to their physical and mental well-being, so they are refreshed both at work and at home?
1: yeah that's uh, another great question jeff i mean uh it's funny i i definitely seem like a hypocrite because (laughs) i write so much about wellness and work-life balance on on the future of work exchange and then uh saturday morning my wife and i were arguing over uh who worked more hours that week right (laughs) so you talk about badge of honor right um she's in veterinary medicine so she's pulling 12 14 hour shifts and Um, you know, working for some of us working from home, we, we never turn off our brains, right. It's, it's unfortunate, but, um, uh, taking away my, my own personal life in here, um, you know, workers, people, you know, they, they, they need to have that work life balance. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, think one thing that the pandemic has taught us, unfortunately, those of us that have you know, either lost folks close to us or gotten sick ourselves, or um, maybe we have frontline workers in our family. Um, You you sort of think to yourself, why am I working 60 hours a week? Why am I unhappy? Um, I mean, myself, I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old and, you know, there's a lot of weekends where I'm plugged into my computer and, you know, you, you feel guilty, right, that you don't get to spend that time with them because you're working so much. And if there's one thing that the pandemic, I think, has really shined a light on, is the importance of of, of being at home, being engaged with your own personal self and the people around you. And so, um, and again, I think it, you know, it's kind of cheating here, but going back to the, the the aspect of empathy and flexibility, you know, we we can't as a country. And I understand, Jeff. Like, I totally agree with you, and I've heard that so much from my friends over in the UK. And um, I've got a, a college buddy that's in Iceland that. I mean, he probably works six hours a week. No, I'm kidding. But he does work, you know, a four-day week, right? And he's calm, you know, calm, cool, and collected every time I talk to him. And he's in a pretty stressful industry. It's it's just an unfortunate thing that I think uh, is going to be a piece of who we are in America forever. But um, I am encouraged by the fact that the vast majority of organizations in our research study uh, had indicated that they do expect more wellness, more flexibility, better work-life balance in their roles and how they get work done over the next year or two. So we may be a little bit slower getting there, but, um, I do think again, you know, when businesses, you know, hopefully we're talking, you know, spring of next year, you know, the two mark, two year mark of the pandemic, when maybe, you know, some of us have gotten booster shots, maybe it's become endemic, maybe things are a lot better, right. Um, maybe there are are organizations that start to think like, wow, like we lost a lot of workers because we pushed them during a time when we shouldn't have pushed them. Or you have people on the other side, like that. Just, I mean, my, my wife, again, I I use my wife as a great example. She's in veterinary medicine. They're used to having 10, 12 um, ICU technicians on overnight. Most nights they're working with one or two now. So many people have quit in that industry. It's like that in healthcare. It's like that in light industrial. It's like that in so many other jobs, both a blue collar and white collar, that it makes you really think like, this is sort of uh, um, an epidemic of, of great proportions. And I've written too, over the past couple of weeks that worker burnout and the lack of work-life balance is an epidemic on top of a pandemic. And we shouldn't be dealing with that, right? I mean, it's really tough when you're working on something and you're spending 60, 70 hours a week and that's understandable, but that shouldn't be the baseline. And so I think that this is really where business leaders really need need to take a good, hard internal look at how they're managing their teams, how they're structuring their work and and, and having some level of empathy and, and, and understanding Hey, I I need to make sure that my teams they're rested. They need time off. They need to work a four day work week for the rest of the summer, the first month of fall. Let them do it. I mean, and I couldn't agree more, Jeff. That that badge of honor thing that that's something that needs to go. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, no, and, and and hey, we should all work hard, drive towards our goal, and I think that there's a balance in there to to make sure we get there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Chris, this is a great conversation so i'll ask a bit of a loaded question as we wrap up then Uh, as companies are still continuing to rebuild their workforce, you mentioned a little bit about the agility and how much of the contingent workforce is part of that. Mm -hmm. numbers have swung wildly over the past decade about how many contingent workers, there are and or make up the workforce uh, in general, but. As companies, let's say, are rebuilding uh, the remaining 20, 30% of their workforce that, that uh, they still need. Um, is there a right number to, to, to build up to that? I mean, is it is it a 20 or 30% of that should be contingent or or more or less based on at least the pace of economic recovery that we're at today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess this is more of a maybe a vertical or, or sector industry driven type of answer Uh, There are some verticals like utilities, gas, oil, that they've been at 45, 50% contingent for years, even before all of this happened. Um, You have industries like light industrial um, that, uh, and I can remember talking with so many executives at at LI uh, organizations over the years, and they were always 10% lower than my figures were at. And that's one of the industries that's experienced such a boom that maybe they're starting to wake up and see the value of that. I don't think there's a one size fits all answer. I mean, I always go back to the fact that whatever brings your organization the most agility from a workforce perspective, that's the workforce you need. Can I tap into all of the skill sets I need, all of the expertise I need, and can I do that in an on-demand, on-demand, real-time manner? I mean, that's really the major difference between... The, the agile workforce today and the agile workforce of 10, 12 years ago is that, you know, we didn't have talent marketplaces back then. We didn't have direct sourcing. We didn't even talk about direct sourcing today, but we didn't have talent pools, right? We did not have a lot of the, um, you know, these these newer, uh, more seamless outlets of talent that we never had before. And so some businesses, I expect to fluctuate, right? You know, they could, you know, two, three months of the year during a very particular busy time in their, respective industry, they could be above that 47% number. They could be, you know, 50% contingent, 60% contingent. And then when things settle down and they're back to a steady state, maybe it's somewhere in the forties. And so I think again, you know, um, I'm sort of cheating on my answer here, but uh, I think whatever brings uh, an organization, the deepest level of workforce agility is, is where they should be. If honestly, if a business can be more agile, more productive, more successful. If 70% of their workforce was non-employee, go for it. Nothing's going to stop you. And you know, and 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 really the, the the opposite of that is true. If you're in a business where, you know, you're, you know, you're a mom and pop company, you you know, you're you're 50 to 75 employees and you've been working wonderfully and successful for a hundred years. And you know, you only bring in a contractor here and there, keep doing it if it's helpful. I mean that's that's really what it is. But I think the biggest thing, and this is what I'll go out on, the biggest thing is workforce agility, is whatever can bring workforce agility into your organization, help you optimize how work is done, that's the answer.
0: No, that's great. And I I, I appreciate that because it shouldn't be prescriptive. It should be scenario-based. It should be uh, your company-based. So thank you for that. Well, Chris, that's this is. Cool. a great conversation. I really appreciated the uh, exactly. publication. I encourage everybody to uh, to take a look at that. And maybe we can have a bit of a longer conversation in the future about how well the empathetic leader has come We'd along and maybe revisit our baseline from, uh, from the current pandemic. I'm sure
1: we will, Jeff. I look forward to it.
0: Great. Well, for Christopher Dwyer from Ardent Partners, I'm Jeff Dubisky of Workforce Logic. Thanks for swimming in the deep end.